What's today's date? Uh, March the 5th. What a year. Why, Welcome back to Strange Highways. Uh, I am Paul. And I am not hungover Kevin this week. There you go. Uh, so, but before we get to the, you, you went to the casino though, after uh, we talked about the fever. Yes, so I how did. How did that go? And uh, not, not well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> did not win anything. Uh, no machines were calling to me. I was kind of upset. Uh, but again, me high rolling is about $40. Uh, I think I put in 30 bucks, lost it all. So eh, at least I had fun, sort of. Yeah, well, that, that's good. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that no machines were calling your name. Um, I, in the meantime, have caught the virus, but not the fever. So I apologize in advance to anybody listening. Um, something caught a hold of me. It's not It's not slot machine related, but we'll, we'll try to get through. Um, so, <laughs> but yeah, again, thanks to Joe last week for coming on the show and, and doing some heavy lifting because... Uh, you know, it was just nice to have a, a third person to talk about uh, Vegas and and uh, button pressing. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, especially <laughs> with my uh, state. <laughs> my uh, girlfriend listened to it and she was like, you barely you barely talking it. I'm like, I was sleeping. <laughs> oh, OK. Well, I'm glad that we had a guest on then. That would have been that would have been a really awkward, like 10 minute show. when We've been done. Um, yeah, I would have been like, yeah, it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> Five stars. I'm asleep. Now I'm done. All right. Uh, so, all right. So, uh, going from Vegas, going to France. Uh, this episode is the, the last flight. Uh, air date uh, February fifth, nineteen sixty. Uh, number one song. I was wrong. It's still Running Bear by Johnny Preston, but only for another oh. week. Um, <laughs> and the number one film, Ben Hur. Um, just spoiler alert. Uh, ben Hur is going to uh, come back every so often over the course of this year and like ruin all of our shows because it's going to be the number one movie for a long time. It's like it was important and monumental for some reason. Um, didn't find anything about the air date. However, the day before, uh, February 4th, 1960, the Soviet Union's support of Cuba as a communist ally was forged when the Soviet the Soviet deputy uh, premier, I'm not going to try to say the guy's name, uh, was welcomed in Havana by Castro. And I just think oh. that was kind of appropriate just because Castro just recently passed away. Yeah. And, and yeah, just how even how long ago this was, how far reaching it really is. Yeah. The only thing I found for the date, uh, it, it just it just kind of a weird coincidence is that there's a plane crash in Bolivia that killed 59 people on February 5th, 1960. Oh, so it kind of ties into the episode. 
That's yeah, that's more appropriate. Yeah, wow. Okay. Uh so um yeah, nothing fun happened that day, but uh but yeah, all appropriate to the episode. Uh so uh we'll just get right into the cast and crew. Uh directed by William Claxton. Yes, who uh directed three other Twilight Zone episodes and uh a movie that's near and dear to my heart around Easter time, Night of the Lepus, about giant mutated uh, rabbits. I still need to see this movie. I know of it. I've seen bits of it, but I need to It's I need really to bad, it. but uh, <laughs> I, I mean, there's only so much you can pick. I tend to lean towards blasphemous films around Easter, but out of the giant killer bunny movies, you got to go with Night of the Lepus. <laughs> of the giant killer bunny movies, yes. All of the ones that we know. Um, yeah, when I saw that, I just knew that you were going to mention it. And I, I appreciate that. Yeah, um, I'm easy to read. <laughs> it's just like, oh, this is a movie about giant mutant rabbits. Kevin's going to mention it. Uh, so written by Richard Matheson, th- this one's different than and when the sky was opened, because this is actually a screenplay written by Richard Matheson. Yeah, uh, this was the first episode to go into production uh, with a uh, teleplay by someone other than Serling. Oh, Okay. Yeah, because I mean, uh, he did pretty much all of them. I mean, it, the only thing that might not technically be his uh, was a few weeks ago with the one uh, I can't remember the woman's name who came up with the idea. Oh, for um, I, I shot an arrow into the air. Yes, um, yes, yes, no. yes. Thank you. Um, so. <laughs> the, the episode's so good we remember the name. Uh, so, <laughs> um, yeah. So this is like Matheson's first writing effort for the show, um, which I think this is. I mean, dialogue-wise, I think this is vastly superior than uh, and when the sky was opened. Um, yes, yeah. and and uh, also it's it's a study in, in minimalism. We'll get to there get to that in a minute. Um, yeah, I I do like it, um, but you can definitely tell that he was still trying to figure out how Twilight Zone was working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because this is I mean there are incredible Matheson episodes throughout the series and. I, I think this is one of the weaker ones, but we'll get to it. It almost feels like an Amazing Stories episode written like 40 years too soon. You know? <laughs> I could see that. Uh, so uh, in this, and I just want to mention that the music in this episode was actually originally written for Where's Everybody uh, by Bernard Ehrman, which was from the very first uh, episode of Twilight Zone. So I thought yeah, was, I like the music. Yeah. And it worked. Like, I didn't even think twice about that until I read it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that is that music. Um, but, yeah, we have our, our cast. Uh Let's see how far we dug into this because I found some some interesting stuff here. So we got a uh, uh, flight lieutenant Decker by uh, his his name is uh, Kenneth Hegg. That's the actor's name. Uh, did you find anything connecting anything interesting about um, him? What I wrote down in my notes was British actor only Twilight Zone. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I have for him that is remotely interesting is I was looking at his filmography and, and there was a Joe Collins movie in 1979 called The Bitch. And I, oh, I was just like, I had to look at this and I had to click on the cast because I'm like, what is this movie? And um, John Ratzenberger was in that movie. So we have a Cheers connection to this episode that Kenneth Hyde was in a movie in 1979 with uh, John Ratzenberger. I, I, I don't know why I thought that was funny. Huh. The <laughs> owner of a trendy disco starts having problems with the men in her life and the mafia, which is trying to move in on her place. And a Actually, sounds worker, up my alley. <laughs> and a postal worker that just happens to have a bunch of random knowledge when he hangs around the club. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I, I just never heard of this movie before, and I guess uh, there's there's that one. There's a sequel um, that actually did quite well, like in the just general like populace. Even though these were movies that were trashed critically. So All right, yeah. well, that's what we're doing next week. <laughs> nice, uh, <laughs> I like it. Uh, yeah, and then we got Major Wilson played by Simon Scott, and uh, again my 
cryptic notes here. TV career, only Twilight Zone. <laughs> <laughs> he was in McHale's Navy, uh, and he was also in Trapper John. So it's like, hey, military Navy. There you go. Congratulations. So that's yeah. about all I found. A few of these people just had just unbelievable careers. And uh, not too much that I would recognize them from, but just like hundreds and hundreds of credits on their uh page so yeah. i i kind of flipped through and i was like my god <laughs> no you're right and a lot of it was just like tv work like tons and tons like like they they all hustled and they they never turned down a job and you got to respect that i don't yeah. know most of it but you're right it was hard to kind of pick out what was interesting so absolutely yeah. then we got major general george harper played by alexander scorby which i'd like that last name yes um only twilight zone again for him actually all of the actors I looked up in this, this were their, was their only Twilight Zone episode, which I thought was strange. Because a lot of times people were coming back for uh, at least a, a handful of episodes. Yeah, especially if you got like these like character actors, you know, and it's like it, yeah. would, it would not be unusual to be like, oh, you were a stock military man in this one. Let's bring you in for another one, you know. So, um, but did you get the with um, Scourby or Scurby? Did you get his biggest? Uh, uh, connection to you did uh he was in the stuff oh man <laughs> it was his last role he was that? in the stuff and i thought maybe yeah, you would know that okay <laughs> yeah not like it's tattooed on me forever uh image from the stuff you know yeah. um, I, I must have missed that yeah. uh he also like the one thing i thought was interesting with him was just uh he recorded 422 audiobooks for the blind uh which he actually considered to be his most important work so he's oh. actually being held up as one of the the greatest voices that ever recorded audiobooks. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that's uh, that's really cool to hear. Um, and then we got uh, the the last couple here: Air Vice Marshal Alexander uh, McKay, or what it, the 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 older gentleman in the episode, Robert Warwick. Um, he this what is the interesting thing? A ton of silent film work. So he's one of those guys they actually translated over. And he was also in that TV show I mentioned a few episodes ago called Johnny Midnight. And that just made me happy. Oh, <laughs> We're going to have to look into that one uh, for a special episode sometime. Absolutely. Uh, um, yeah, I, this guy's career was incredible. Started back in 1914, transitioned from stage to silent, and worked all the way into his late 80s acting. Yeah. Like, that, that's insane. Like, that's that's awesome. And he was great in this. Yeah, I mean, uh -huh. and to go from, I mean, if you think about it, like his, his, he had to change his career, you know, a few times to match what was going on with the technology of the day, and that, and some people, a lot of people didn't have success with that. So, yeah, hats off to yeah. him. Uh, well, hats, I mean, at this one, he basically bottom. sat down in a chair for a few minutes. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, <laughs> Can't really gauge his uh, acting career on this episode, but I liked him in it. Uh, yeah, and the only other note I have here was for the Jeep driver. The guy's name is Paul Baxley. Just want to mention it because he was a stunt coordinator for Star Trek, the original series, and Shatner's uh, stand-in, sometimes like a stunt double. So that's all I just wanted to mention. We have an early Shatner connection to the Twilight Zone. There's your Star Trek fact for the week, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, that'll, that'll do it for uh, cast and crew. Um, let's go ahead and just, uh, let Sterling take it away. Witness Flight Lieutenant William Terrence Decker, Royal Flying Corps. Returning from a patrol somewhere over France. The year is 1917. The problem is that the lieutenant is hopelessly lost. Lieutenant Decker will soon discover that a man can be lost not only in terms of maps and miles, but also in time. And time in this case can be measured in eternities. 
So, yeah, um, you mentioned that Matheson didn't quite get the Twilight Zone formula. I think it's because he gave away the twist at the very beginning of the episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I, I think the episode has the initial twist, but then later on, there's kind of the second twist, which yeah. is also revealed fairly early. I think the... Uh, the real part that I assumed was the twist happened with like 10 minutes left in the episode. Yeah. That's I mean. You got like the, the actual setting for the episode. Then you have the character moment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we'll get into the plot here. This is a uh, fairly simple of uh, what's his name. William Decker is part of the British Royal flying Corps, and running away from a dogfight he flies into a big white cloud and ends up landing on what he thinks is a French airbase. Um, turns out to be a U.S. airbase. And when he lands, he immediately gets intercepted by Major Wilson, who is confused because he's flying a plane that's about 60, 50 years old. Yeah. So he brings him in uh, to Major General George Harper's office and they kind of question him from there, asking him, what, what is he doing here? Why is he dressed like this? And they finally come to terms and they ask him, what year do you think it is? And he says it's 1917. And they tell him that it's 1959. So I guess that would be the first twist that he went back in time. Yeah. Or he went ahead in time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ahead in time. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Skipping ahead. Um <laughs> But but I like yeah, so I, I like that it was it, the white cloud like did you that one white cloud in the sky that he flew into that caused him to go forward in time that, that ominous white cloud. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, like as he's there on the base, uh, at first, like I just want to stop and talk about that because I feel like uh, his performance um, was actually, uh, I mean, you have a you have the basically two sets the entire episode with some stuff outside, very little outside. You have the one guy's office and then you have like the holding room and mm-hmm. and it becomes like uh with Kenneth Hegg's uh, uh performance where he is very british like I mean of course he is british but very british and like um you know proud and and very kind of defiant up until a certain point and then and then we'll get talk about that in a second but i really do like that he kind of carried himself as very cocky to start you know yeah. and then and and it's something that i was worried about going into this is when you jump ahead 50 years into the future, um, I, I, I would be worried about him really grasping what was going on. And I think it's played off pretty well because even when he lands, he's like, I had no idea you guys were this advanced with technology. Yeah. you know. And they bring him in and uh, I, I think they ask him if he was there for an air show or something. Yeah. Yeah, and he's like, I have no idea what 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 that is. Well, they're asking, they're asking, it's like, were you, were you making a movie or shooting a film? He's just like, I, yeah, you know, I don't know. Like, what do you? <laughs> um, so I, I think he plays it off pretty well, and uh, it doesn't seem unbelievable that he would be able to communicate and everything. But uh, there's just like the perfect amount of confusion, and even down to his like facial expressions, I think is uh, really good. And, and that's something that I'm going to keep coming back to in this episode is how much that the performances carry this because it's such a simple premise. I mean, we're almost through the synopsis. <laughs> that's true. I'm, I'm going to give credit you're right to the facial uh, facial reactions, also the framing 
like I wanted to point out, like I um, just how you have two sets. How do you make the shots dynamic? And there was mm-hmm. some really good framing in there whenever um, there's a bit where Decker's looking out a window and you have like the slats of shadow across his eyes. And then right behind him is the, the, the two military men. I guess they're Air Force, but they're staggered, like one sitting and one standing. It's a really good frame of that, just having all three like in the shot. And it's like that just it's better than just having your standard sitcom, like, oh, you know, you got your close up and wide and close up and wide. Like credit to the director finding some way to, to generate some uh drama in just basically two rooms. Yeah. And then there's that great shot of that giant bunny behind the one guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <Sorry. laughs> yeah, that's you can't forget about that. Um no, but I just I mean I I'm a sucker for um, like you're making like something out of nothing. And, and I'm not saying that the script was solid. It's basically like, you know, it's, it's, it's a two act play is what it is. Yeah. And, it's, it's simple. And, uh, I read that he sold this to, uh, Serling and the production company solely based on it, just like a two sentence pitch. And he was like, shit, now I have to actually write this <laughs> and fill in the blanks. I, that, that, I like that because I mean, you're, you're right. It's very simple in explanation, but it, um, I also really credit to uh, Madison for having – this doesn't work if it's just uh, one guy at a time trying to convince another guy. But I like that having um, Major Wilson and General Harper where Wilson was kind of like, I, I don't have time for this. I don't care where you are. You have a gun. Um, we don't know who you are. You're a threat. And then I think it was uh, – was it yeah, it was Wilson. I, forget, I get the names mixed up. Anyway, the other guy who was – like, you know what? His story's crazy, but he has a bunch of money and identification and his story isn't changing. I kind of want to believe him. You know, I loved having them go back and forth so you don't have to have just the one guy trying to justify why he's there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so where were we in the plot here? Oh, sorry. Um, I, I got ahead trying, of myself. I'm just trying to think where. It's no, it, that's good. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I totally lost where we were. Oh yeah. So finally they put him in a holding cell and uh they tell him that uh there's a Air Vice Marshal Alexander McKay is coming to check out the place and he immediately freaks out and he's like, uh Alexander McKay is dead. He died in World War One. They're like, uh no, he's coming here. <laughs> yeah, and that's whenever you start seeing like his whole facade crack. Because, like, then he knows that, like, well, he has to be dead. And it's like, well, why do you know that? It's because I left him to die. And and I flew off into a white cloud, and now I'm here, you know? So that's when you start to find out about him, more of his character, where Decker basically admits to, I mean, he, he, he admits to being a coward and how yeah. he was terrified of any type of combat situation and would do his best. And I completely related to the whole idea of, like, I went out and flew for a bit and just spent just enough time out there when I thought it was okay to come back. Like, we've all done those jobs where it's like, I'm going to go over here for a while. Oh, I'm supposed to be done now. Okay, we're good. Like, so I can yeah. really. <laughs> and I, I think my favorite thing about him talking about himself being a coward uh, is when he says he would land his plane and shoot holes in the side of it. So when he brought the plane back to the base, he could tell people stories of getting in all these like epic dog fights. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, he, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that little bit of the story. So yeah, and then like basically, you find out that with this uh, the Mackie, McKay that's coming, um, that he was actually a war hero, not only in World War One but two, because he ends up saving a bunch of people during the Blitz, and and then here you have Decker who just he you know 
he just basically admits like, well, I left this guy out to die. There's no way he could have saved anybody. And it it's interesting because like he starts to stumble across the idea of a paradox before it's even suggested. Like, yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, yes. Yeah, okay, sorry. Go ahead. What? No. What were you gonna say? No, it's just like he he gets in his head. For which, it, I mean, I get that we've talked about this repeatedly ad nauseum with the Twilight Zone being a very short format. That his realization comes quick, but his conviction, um, I feel, is very organic. Where he's like, I haven't done an honorable thing my entire life, and then this guy I left to die supposedly is alive, and he saved a lot of people. And if I leave him to die, that's never going to happen. Yeah, well, the whole paradox thing, I, I don't think that's too far of a stretch because, I mean, he's already flew into a cloud and ended up 50 years later. So the idea of, like, maybe I'll just fly back in that cloud and save him it isn't too far of a stretch at this point. No. So I, di- I didn't really have an issue with that. No, I didn't either. I was It's just one of those things where you always have that what if of, like, you know, like what would it, what have would have a later Twilight Zone episode done where they kept him in the holding cell against his will, and then that guy just never shows up, and then all of a sudden it's yeah. Nazi Germany. It's like you know, it'd be like this weird like this one guy didn't save this one one pilot, and now the whole world's gone to hell. Yeah, well, that sounds like a later Serling's uh, teleplay, <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, it just seems like it would have went real crazy, but this was like a, a night. It was more about the character. Like they asked Matheson what he felt that the title meant. He's like, I think it means two things. One is the last flight for for Decker and also his last flight in terms of like running away from something. And I think that's very appropriate. Yeah. It's really really neat. So, uh, yeah, once he makes this realization, he ends up knocking out like three people uh, (laughs) getting back to which I'm I'm trying to think. I don't think we've seen this much physical violence yet in the show. In my notes, I wrote the Air Force are easy to punch. They must be ancestors from this aliens and third from the sun. Like (laughs) like, punch them and just knock them out. Yeah. Can you think of an episode with more people getting knocked out? Um, I mean, like other, physically uh, harmed uh, other than they're from the sun where they just, they took out those guards that were by the UFO. Um, yeah. but yeah, it was pretty much just like, yeah, he, well, uh, I guess, I guess I shot an arrow as well. Uh, one dude's <laughs> killing me, the other guys. All right, never mind. Yeah. Just <laughs> talking out my ass now. Um, but yeah, so he knocks out like three people, gets in his plane and, uh, right as he's about to fly away, I think it was, uh, Major General George Harper shows up and that's, puts a gun to his head. That's it, Harper. That's one I like. Yeah, I kept saying he was the one that was the kind yeah, of um. He was the one that wanted to believe him. Yeah. So, but at one side, the military side of him is coming out where he's like, "This crazy guy in like a fifty-year-old plane just showed up with a gun on our base. Uh, I can't let this guy go." But then he is believing his story, and he's just like, "There's a great moment where uh, he has the gun to his head and." Uh, Decker's like, just shoot me. Like, I don't care. Like, yeah, I'm going. And so he ends up letting him go. And uh, and uh, Alexander McKay ends up showing up. Yeah. And I just like, again, I think it's a nice touch that there was actually compassion from him for for Decker, which you could have easily written this again, where they just did not give him one inch of believability, you know? And I I like that you had somebody that was conflicted because not only did the story make sense, it's like, you know, you also get the vibe that, that he's also seen combat. So he's like, I, it's, it's, you know, it's like, it's, it's very realistic to be, to be scared. So like he didn't, he didn't look down on him for being scared of combat. I thought that was, uh, Mm -hmm. especially in 19, 1960, where 
we're in like the you know just the height of like you know <laughs> you know Americans being men and doing patriotic things. You know, it's like that was. Well, the, this is the end of it. So I mean, <laughs> this is uh, it's you true. Know. <laughs> but I mean, we're we're off that World War Two bump where we could do no wrong. You know, and and if you're afraid, then get out of here. You know, like it's. I thought that compassion was really. I mean, that still shines through. Yeah. Um, so once Alexander McKay shows up, they end up confronting him and asking him, uh, do you know, uh, William Decker? And, uh, immediately he's like, how, how, how do you know him? You know, and <laughs> they end up, uh, showing him his, uh, or I guess he reveals that he was shot down by the Germans after he saved, uh, McKay's life. Right. Yeah. Decker took out three, um, yes, and yeah. was shot down and he saved McKay and McKay got back. Um, and then, but they asked yeah. him about like the contents, which we didn't really talk a whole lot about that, but they had like a envelope full of Decker's contents, like his, like, I don't know, his flight badge, which I don't know why a 1917, um, you'd have a, a photo attached to that, but whatever. <laughs> um, and then like some, some money and some other stuff too, um, which I'm glad they didn't do the thing where I was worried that that would be gone when he went to go open the envelope, but it was actually still there. Yeah. Th- yeah, that would have been bullshit. Uh. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was just kind of a, a nice uh, confirmation also because Wilson heard the story from Decker about how uh, uh, McKay got uh, got shot in the ass while up in the sky and they called him old Leadbottom. So yeah. at the end to be like, just have a seat, Leadbottom. And he's like, what'd you call me? You know, uh, so um, that was a nice little like kind of button on that to still mean it was it was um, it it didn't break the rules of time travel. In the sense that, like everything happened, still that was supposed to happen, but it left enough of a fingerprint to where there's still like, did that really take place? And I, like, and it seems like in modern time travel, like you'd almost want to have everything that happened there be erased, as if it never happened at all. I don't know, but it just always feels like you want to clean up after yourself. And this didn't do that. Yeah, and I think these being twenty twenty five minute episodes, um kind of loosely playing with time travel and not getting too complicated really helps it out. Cause you don't, I feel the more complicated time travel gets, the more like I talk about looper, just the deeper and deeper you start thinking about it, the more your head just wants to explode, you know? Yeah. Um, whereas I think this, like you don't think twice about it. You just let it go. It's kind of like back to the future where it's like simple rules, simple premise, there you go. Like, don't overthink this, you know? <laughs> that, and, like, the other thing, too, is that this is all from the perspective of one pilot saying, I flew into a cloud. I don't know how I got here. Now here I am. Like, it's mm-hmm. very good to, to keep it at the, the level of the people interacting with each other. So it's like, if they don't know what happened, you can't really poke holes in the time travel if they have no idea how it occurred. You know, so I'm yeah. actually okay with that hand-waving of that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was I, – um, I didn't know what to expect out of this episode – um, I, I liked it just because it was a strong character, uh, episode. And I don't think we've had those for, I mean, we had the hitchhiker and that was mainly in, uh, Nan's head and that was still mm-hmm. strong, but this is like, it's been, it feels like it's been a few weeks since we've had good interaction between characters. Yeah. And it, it's cool because it, there really is very little like action or visuals going on, you know, like some of the plane stuff is neat. I like seeing like the old, uh, 50s jets out there um i think when he looks out the window he sees the one taking off like that's cool but i mean like you said it's it's basically just three people in a small room talking yeah like and and the fact that they were able to create a compelling 
sci-fi story out of that is unbelievable. And I think that speaks back to why we wanted to talk about the stuff to begin with, because I feel like no other show I could think of that that takes like, oh, here's just a script where guys in the room talking about one of them's not supposed to be here and make it compelling. This is why I'm still drawn to the Twilight Zone, because it shows you like um, you don't need a ton of special effects. I mean, all you needed was uh, a a guy that happens to actually have a World War One plane land the thing for you. And and there you go. You got you got your episode, you know, and it's like that's it still ceases. It will cease to never cease to amaze me how you're able to take just a concept and a script and and make it work like this. Yeah. Well, I, I took down a little thing, uh, Matheson talking about working with Rod Serling, and I think it kind of ties into this. Um, I think the reason uh, this show is so well done is because it was conceived by a writer, you know, and uh, Matheson was talking about selling scripts to Rod Serling, and he said out of the 14 scripts that he submitted to him, no word was ever changed. Wow. Is it like that's crazy? It's like nowadays, where there's just rewrites and rewrites on everything that you watch. Like the idea that somebody would just submit a screenplay, like, and it wouldn't be touched. Like that's it, you know. And like that, that speaks to certainly just trusting him, you know. Well, like, that's what I mean. Yeah, it, that's like, amazing. It was such a writer-friendly show. Um, it, I, I think that's why it stands up. You know, I, I talk a lot about directors and stuff, and every once in a while, like uh, last episode. You get a director that brings a little bit more visual flair when needed. But I mean, this is an episode that just, it's writing. Like, that's it. Like, yeah. <laughs> I said, like, it's cool to see the two planes in it. But other <laughs> than that, that's it. You know, <laughs> like. Yeah, it's the writing and also, like, the soft touch that some of the the reactions are. I mean, you, you still have. Well, yeah, the acting, too. I mean, yeah, you're always going to have that, that late 50s, early 60s, like, overreacting to things sometimes. I don't know where that is, where it's like suddenly everything's fine. Then everything's chaos for a second, you know, but, uh, um, yeah. but yeah, like, like, uh, Hague did a good job of selling everything. Um, Wilson, I, there was twice where he shook his head. No. And I loved both of those times. It was very solemn, like slow head shakes. I, I like that. Um, it, yeah, it just, you're right. Like the writing is what sold this. Um, the acting certainly brought it home, but I think the script would have stood up like no matter what, um, but I, 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 I dug it. I just, I didn't know what to expect. I really liked it. Yeah, it was, it was, it was good. Uh, the only issues I had with it, I, I feel like we've dealt with these things uh, with time travel already in the show. And I don't think this is the strongest effort in time travel. Yeah. Um, like I said, I like the characters and everything. So it, it, it's definitely, it's definitely good. Like, don't get me wrong. And I, I feel like I've been talking it up more than I should have because well, I, I didn't enjoy it. It sounds like as much as you did. Well, no, I mean, but, um, I, and, and I, maybe I didn't. Maybe I, I don't know. I just I was pleasantly surprised that like having a nice meaty character piece to get into after the past couple that we've had. Um, but I mean, you're, the time travel here is just as it makes just as much sense as walking distance, you know, where it's just like, hey, I've pulled up to a gas station that like and I'm just going to walk out of my car and go to my hometown. Like there's yeah. no, you know, and that's that's fine. Like I can I can spin that disbelief. If it tells me an interesting story about a guy that's been running away from everything and then the moment he finds out in his future, he doesn't worry about the future part. It almost like it's almost like a relief. He's like, I'm away from all that now. And then to be like, <laughs> shit. I might be responsible for a lot of deaths, you know, like that's, that's, uh, it's interesting. Yeah. And I, I think my issues with this episode come from just, uh, being able to look back at the series and knowing what Richard Matheson 
ended up doing for the series and just knowing his writing and being able to look back on his work, you know, where like, I feel like this is one of his, uh, weaker entries. Yeah. But again, um, it, it is, it is better than most stuff that you, that you could check out from this era. So <laughs> no, it would be interesting when we go, um, if we do like a look back on season one, when we get there, whenever that is and pick mm-hmm. like what our favorite is, who like characters, I don't think this will be like in my top five, but I'm saying I, I, I liked it, you know, and, um, yeah. just never, never seen it before. I've just, you know, it, it was cool. Um, but so I wanted to mention, I had a couple other notes in here real quick. One, this episode, episode should have been called back from the future. That's what it should have been called. <laughs> Uh, whatever. Uh, what what do you think about uh Serling's closing narration from Hamlet? It was good. Like it was. Yeah, I, it, it I added really more gravity. enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, I think whenever you're trying to make a quick getaway with the plane that you have to self start, that's that's a challenge. Like you're yeah. like, I gotta get out here, but I gotta just gotta hand crank this plane. I'll be gone in a minute, guys. Just give just give me a second. I think it takes him like two times to get it started too. <laughs> yeah, and I like it's, that leg it, kick, that that weird it's leg like kick. The nineteen seventeen equivalent of dropping the keys when you're trying to get away from the killer. <laughs> yeah, um, and did you notice how whenever he flew up in the sky towards the the white cloud that you couldn't see right before the scene changed, his his plane disappeared, like yes. real quick. Yeah, I thought I that was that. nice. Um, yeah. But um, let's see here. What, what I was going to mention here, real quick, just before we get to the twist, uh, I. I'm fascinated with the guns that are on World War One planes because of the props, like the propellers. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, this was figured out a couple years before this plane was built. But in 1915, there was a French pilot that had metal deflectors put on his propellers to deflect the bullets when he shot his guns through the propellers. He that didn't care. It, it was very dangerous. And he actually had a lot of success. And the Germans had no idea what he was doing because he was like taking out targets. And then he ended up going behind enemy lines. And they're like, well, welcome, welcome. And they looked at it. They're like, what are you doing? So that's whenever the first research went into making um, the the synchronization, synchronization gears that when the, the prop will be a certain like like straight across to let the guns fire. And if yeah. you notice in that plane, there was three guns. So I thought that was interesting that in a matter of just like two years, they were able to come up with technology to where you wouldn't shoot your propeller off. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm fascinated by that kind of stuff. I, yeah, that, that, that's interesting. And it's the amount of times where you probably shot like like those those propellers were actually made also to take a couple hits because they knew that there there's going to be the off chance is going to fall out of sync. And I just yeah, I fell down a wormhole reading about that. It was so so crazy. Uh, but I also want to mention here too because I, I told you before the show I had something tangentially related to this. Um, this is the story of uh, Hiru Onada. Um, he was a Japanese soldier that um didn't know that world war ii ended i'm sure you probably heard the story oh in yeah some yeah i think i have actually um he was actually him and a couple other people were uh they stayed on an island uh what was it he uh was 1974 is when he finally surrendered they actually had to go find his original commanding officer to come out and relieve him of duty because he didn't believe that the japanese had lost and there was different points in time where there was flyers dropped from the sky advising everybody that the war was over. And he examined the flyers and was like, these are fakes. So this guy <laughs> stayed in hiding. Yeah, he like, was in the Philippines. Yeah. And it's just like, and this isn't the same situation where he didn't go to the future. He just stayed in the war, you know? And it's like that. It's just amazing that he would actually kind of just terrorize the locals in the name of, you know, of the whatever, the, the empire. You know, and then and then go back to hiding, and until someone had to relieve him of duty, and that's just um, it's a strange story. And he's not the only one. There's uh, they actually found some people after him that didn't know the war was over, 
And that's I, I just can't imagine living your life for decades thinking that you're in this war situation and then wondering yeah. why no one's talking to you about it. You know, so yeah. Anyway, look up, look up this guy. Like, he, there's a whole huge article on him on um on Wikipedia as well. Um, his name's Hiro Onada, and it's just the man. Talk about a man that uh, you know, <laughs> I just thought it was interesting because we had a character that went from one war 50 years in the future, and then went back to fight, finish that war. And there's a guy that was stuck for what 40 years, almost 40 years, fighting one war. Um, that sounds like a Sterling script in itself, but yeah, that's yeah. a, that's a great tie in. Yeah. Um, all right. So, all right. So let's just go ahead and skip to the twist. I'm giving this a two just because the, the, the biggest twist is at the very beginning, which that the reason it has to be there to set up the rest of it. And I feel like the emotional twist later is a little better, but you know, the bigger twist here is, Oh no, he's in the future. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a three just based on the mystery between Alexander McKay and William Decker. And I, I kind of like them revealing that paradox of him going back to save, uh, McKay and consequentially the, uh, um, all the people that the Germans would have killed. <laughs> yeah, well, that's fair. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I wasn't quite sure where it was going for a minute, and then it goes exactly where you'd expect it to. Yeah, right. So I, I can't give it any higher than a three. But <laughs> again, me being nice at these episodes. <laughs> if we didn't care for the Twilight Zone, we wouldn't be doing this, right? So I'm, I'm, that's we're, true. we're a little biased. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's it. That's the last flight. If you guys have not seen it, I know we just ruined it for you, but just go ahead and watch it and then um, check it out. I think it's, it's a good episode. It's very... Like this would not. This is not the highest of Twilight Zone. This is certainly not the lowest. This is just a good one, just to just to watch and be like, oh yeah, that was that was solid. That's yeah, kind of where you I can do it. worse. <laughs> um, yeah, I shot an arrow into the air, which you can watch. You know <laughs> that poor episode. Yeah, like it's it's it took the place of Mister Denton on Doomsday. It kind of knocked it out of there for oh, me. Man. You know, I totally forgot about that one already. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that 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 That's will funny. do it for this episode. Kevin, how can people get a hold of us? You can find us on Facebook, Strange Highways. Um, having a little bit of conversation on there recently, which is nice. Um, you can find us iTunes, Stitcher. If you would be kind to review us, appreciate that. It really helps us out. And if you want to reach out to us, where our email is strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. Let us know if you're enjoying the show. Ask us questions. Leave us voicemails. Whatever you want to do, we'll play it on the show. Read it on the show if you desire us to do so. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I'm just going to mention real quick, uh, you were recently on Trick or Treat Radio talking about the movie, uh, what was it, The, um, the Similars. The Similars, yes. Yeah. And I yeah. know that the crew there felt that that was very similar to The Twilight Zone. Yeah, it just kind of worked out that it came out uh, about a week prior to me being on there. And... Uh, yeah, it was, it was a nice little tie-in to this show. So definitely go check them out. Uh, great podcast. Always fun talking to those guys. Yeah. Um, and so next episode we have here is The Purple Testament. Um, I know this is another war-based episode. That's all I know about it. I have not seen this one before. So... Um, this is a this is about the will that prince left behind yes it's the purple testament <laughs> sorry too easy i like it it's you, you and everybody must go bathe in the waters of lake minnetonka that's what happens in the purple <laughs> testament um it's it's the much funkier testament versus the old and new i like it <laughs> um so yeah that's that's uh, gonna do it for for us this week um just you know be safe if you see a white cloud really debate if you want to go into it or not because there might be consequences
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very little consequence uh, during that time. But, yeah, but maybe later. You'll learn a lesson at least, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. Now, what the devil is this all about? Maybe you'd better sit down, old lead bottom. <laughs>